This industry has so much potential to be a demand side battery for any grid, but especially the Texas grid because we have so much of it and we have so much stranded energy because of transmission congestion. Uh, that it could be revolution. It could do for the Texas grid what batteries will do for grids in the Northeast or in, in Western Europe. Hello there. How are you all doing? You're doing well. We just finished our WBD Live yesterday. It's a great event. Thank you to everyone who came out. Thank you to Junseth for being part of it. Thanks to my man, Rich Roll, for coming out to come and watch it. Also, Luke Martin, WBD001, came out. Uh, loads of other people. Look, really appreciate it. Really appreciate you all. It was a really good event. We learned a lot from it. If you want to find out about our next upcoming events, we've got one coming in London and one in Miami, go to whatbitcoindid.com. Hopefully see some of you there. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today on the show, I've got Lee Bratcher from the Texas Blockchain Council. Now, when we were out in Austin, I caught up with Lee. I wanted to talk to him about mining, what's going on in the state, and also some of the fuckery going on with Elizabeth Warren writing to Pablo Vegas and complaining about everything to do with mining. It's going to dovetail nicely into the movie we've been making about mining. That's coming out on March the 30th, so please go and check that out. Outside of that, we're just finishing up in New York. Me and Danny are here. Got a couple of shows to go. We're going to be heading off to Canada for a couple of days, and then I'm going to be heading back to the UK. Our next sprint is going to be in April in the UK. Looking forward to that. Right, you got any questions about this or anything else, you can drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com, and I'll see you all soon. Good morning, Lee Bratcher. How are you, man? Good morning. I'm great. Good to see you. Likewise. Uh, you came in from Dallas? Yep. You turn me up a little bit, Danny. Yep. Uh, did you drive or fly? Fly. Okay. Yep. Why? Traffic. Is that the main reason? Yeah. I-35 is a mess. I've done that drive before. I'll tell you a funny story. I um, It was the first time I came to Austin. Uh, I came for South by Southwest. Uh, but the direct flights to, uh, to Austin was too expensive. It was like 10 years ago and I was broke. And so I flew to Dallas and thought I'll just do the drive because the flight was under half the price. So I drew, drove all the way in and uh, I was staying back in the Omni yeah. for one night before going back to the UK. So I put the Omni in my sat-nav, set off, and then I stopped to get uh, uh, petrol, gas, what you call it. And I was like, I'll see if there's anything interesting on the way. And I found out that Billy the Kid's grave or one of her parent graves is on the way. That's amazing. Yeah, so I put that in my sat-nav, went to see it, stopped at a pie shop, had pie with this like, guy who was celebrating his 98th birthday. And then I put the Omni back in my phone and I was about, I think, an hour out of Dallas. Anyway, I'm driving along, and I'm about two hours in. I'm like, how am I not at Dallas yet? And I started to recognize things. And what I didn't realize is there's like an Omni in Austin. So I'd put the Omni in Austin back in my sat-nav and driven pretty much all the way back to Austin. Oh. And then I, so it took me, what was that, two, three, four, about seven hours. That's rough. I should have flown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anyway, nice to see you, and uh, thank you for inviting me to the summit to interview Ted Cruz. I'm going to ask you about that. That was fun. You know what the first question is, don't you? Oh, I do. When are you going to change it, man? <laughs> when are you going to become the Texas Bitcoin Council? It's a great question. Yeah, I think people know we are a Bitcoin first industry association. Uh -huh. um, and your next question is, well, if they know that, then why not change the name? Yeah. Rebranding is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And, and here's another thing that we think about. So when we meet with politicians, elected officials actually is what the better terminology, we know it's important to differentiate so that they have a clear understanding of the landscape. So we do bring them a copy of the Bitcoin standard, 
and uh, inventing Bitcoin. Um, so that that's kind of our our first step in the education drought. We've done that with Senator Cruz, with Governor Abbott, with several other state and local um, state senators and state representatives. And then once the ones that we've had a, an ongoing relationship with for several years, we've actually talked to them about this very thing. And they'll they'll say, hey, you know, you guys just really just do Bitcoin mining and other things in the in the Bitcoin ecosystem. You do a little bit of other broader advocacy for the broader um, ecosystem. And um, they'll they'll ask us to keep it the same because they want the largest possible coalition supporting them for their effort and, and getting educated and and that voter block, that's what they want. So when are you going to change it to the Texas Bitcoin? <laughs> Look, I get it. I get it. And I, so um, I imagine for a lot of uh, politicians you're working with, a lot of them don't see the difference. They just see the cryptocurrency industry. And a lot of work is explaining the difference. And I get that because I have the same. Whenever I'm talking to somebody at the football club about it and they've not heard of it, they see it as one big thing. I think for us Bitcoiners, we're like, wow, it's so obvious how different Bitcoin is. It's immaculate conception, everything. Uh, I'm very empathetic to people who come in there and they, they literally see no difference between any of it. It's a little easier for us than the DC politicians though, because okay. in Texas, mining is such a big deal for job growth, tax revenue. They, they've heard about it and they understand like, oh, okay, well, these other coins don't use proof of work. They're, that's their entry point is hearing about mining. And so they, they already know that there's a little bit different. I was actually uh, really impressed with Ted Cruz's knowledge when we did the interview. Um, very, very impressed, actually. When I did the interview, a lot of people wanted to talk outside of that and their opinions on Ted Cruz, whether they love him, they hate him, his trip to Mexico, you know, outside of all that. Yeah. He, he had a really deep knowledge of Bitcoin. So the first time that I met him, we were in D.C. with his staff and they had ordered a slew of books of, with, you know, with safety at the, the top of the list. And I think he read them all. So like he's, he's done an equivalent amount of research that most Bitcoiners have done. For a politician, that's saying a lot because they usually just read the, the executive summary. How do you think that interview went? I thought it was great. You think it went all right? Yeah. You pressed him a little bit, but you didn't press him too hard. It was perfect. I think, yeah. I'd like to interview him again, actually. I'd like to do a proper long-form podcast interview. But I, th I think I said to you before, I would like to get him and... Uh, Rokana. Yeah, Rokana, a Democrat. Anyone, I just have the two together and just have a... Yeah, the kind of conversation I like to have, which is very balanced and gentle and just talk through some issues. Um, but I was impressed. Um, let people know a little bit more, because not everyone's going to know the uh, Texas Blockchain Council or what you're doing or about you. I know you. I've got to know you over the last year or two. Let, let people know a little bit more because it's going to be an important context for the things we're going to talk about. Sure. Yeah, we're, we're a unique organization. We're a trade association, industry association. So we do two things primarily. One is... We do lobbying, education, advocacy at uh, the state level, a little bit at the federal level as well. And we also do business development for our member companies. So we have over hundred corporate members and uh, we help connect them with um, various people in the industry that they wanna be connected to and uh, try to drive value for them as a member. And so that puts us in a unique position to both see the industry unfold 
and also see behind the curtain on how the sausage is made on politics and policy. And for some people listening, like half my audience is uh, in America, but half isn't. And a lot won't fully understand the difference between lawmaking at a state and federal level. Is there like an easy way to explain it? No, there's not an easy way, but I'll say that pertaining to Bitcoin, it's about a 50-50 split. What matters at the state level and at the federal level? At the federal level, it obviously matters if this is going to fall into the purview of the CFTC as a commodity versus the, I mean, that's obviously we're headed that direction, which is great. And then you have things that at the federal level, like tax implications, that is certainly federal, right? Um, the other half, though, is at the state. And a lot of people don't understand that. Uh, money transmission licenses are, are issued by states. Um, the banks, most banks have a dual regulatory framework, but they fall under the Texas Department of Banking, Texas Charter Banks do. Um, so there's a lot of things at the, at the state level, um, including you know, what, what are we thinking as a state about um, central bank digital currencies, about the uh, transactional nature of when, when is this going to be used um, for everyday transactions? And that's sales tax, that's point of sale, that's uh, a lot of that stuff is, is state and local. So th there's a lot you do. It's you're kind of that, that uh, conduit between you know, companies and you know, people are interested in the industry, but at the same time, you're trying to protect the industry. You're trying to educate lawmakers. There's a lot you, you guys do. Yeah, we, we do quite a bit. Um, we do what our members want us to do. Yeah. And we have a set of values that the members know coming in. And then within that context, within those values and those parameters, we work to advance their interest and advance the interests of the industry and, and consumers in Texas that are adopting. And, and those, those values are... Can you repeat them? Do you know them off by heart? Yeah, I mean, so we have four four values. Uh, membership matters, so we want to take the members seriously. We don't want to just take membership revenue and and then do what we're going to do anyways. We want to engage them and see what's important for their business. Um, we want to enhance diversity, and that's not the typical form of the word diversity that you would expect. It's diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, diversity of Bitcoiners, right? from different socioeconomic backgrounds or different geographies, et cetera. Um, diversity of businesses from like Deloitte to a mining company to a law firm. Um, so so to, to maximize the different specialties that are getting involved in the industry. Um, we wanna influence policy. So we want Texas to become the global leader uh, in, in Bitcoin, blockchain and digital assets at writ large. And Texas has really started to become this kind of home of Bitcoin now. What do you think that is? It, the ethos of Texas just matches up with the ethos of Bitcoin. And it does in other places as well. So it's not just that. There's also an amazing startup ecosystem in Austin. There's, you've got people that are really driving sort of the thought leadership on the technical side, like Jimmy Song, who are here on the... Uh, just kind of the more general business side, like Parker Lewis, who are here and uh, mining, that was just a function of our free market energy only marketplace, which is ERCOT uh, and the abundance of extra, of excess uh, power, stranded power. Uh, and so those three factors combined. And we'd like to think that a little bit of our advocacy work on 
you know, orange pilling people like Senator Cruz and, and the governor has helped as well. So I guess those, those are, there's four factors. Yeah. It's really fascinating to see it. You come to Texas and there are these kind of external pressures that maybe are coming from uh, regulators in D.C. or specifically Elizabeth Warren, who we'll likely talk about. But if Texas was left the fuck alone, Bitcoin would just be this industry that naturally grows, naturally continues. There's, there's no internal questions really within the state. I don't see. I mean, you might know of it, but it seems to me just like a flourishing industry within Texas. It is, and I think it's not, it, from the outside, it may look like that was an easy fit, but there's still a ton of education still. You know, we did a survey of all Texas voters. Uh, of course, this is a representative sample, 2,000 uh, participants, so a margin of error of about 2%. And this was back in March, so things have changed quite a bit since then. But we found that um, the favorability ratings for Bitcoin amongst Texas voters is a net plus 10 positive. So that's favorable and very favorable. So it's a net, net plus 10 on that survey. The ownership of Bitcoin or other digital assets is 29% of Texas voters, which is significantly higher than the national average. Um, now that that data is a little bit skewed because this is a likely voters, not of all Texans. Uh, so that skews slightly to the more educated and to the more digitally savvy. So the real number might be slightly under that, but it's still significantly higher than the national average. And and try and explain this kind of Texas DNA, which as this natural fit to to Bitcoin itself, because I've been coming here now for well since that South by Southwest, but really. I would say the last three years coming regularly, um, I've been to Houston, I've been to Dallas, I've spent a lot of time here in Austin. When you spend time here, whether it's going to your summit, whether it's going to some of the meetups, whether it's going to the Bitcoin Commons, or just hanging out, you you just also spend time with Texans. You listen to what they talk about with regards to sports and you know guns and culture. Um, you see that natural fit, which by the way, I've also seen in Na Nashville, but Try and explain that DNA to an external person who's maybe never even been to the US, let alone Texas. Yeah, it's it's a function of history and, and geography. And there's there's a sort of a, a, a narrative that's kind of in popular culture around Texas, which is mo mostly just hype and, uh, and untrue. But there are elements of it that are actually legitimate. I mean, there is a great de deal more of um, sort of independent thinking and uh, a willingness to buck the status quo and an interest in going out and, and being more entrepreneurial and not uh, leaning on any external, uh, whether that's state support or, um, you know, what, what have you. So uh, there, there is just a different, a different vibe for sure. Are you from Texas? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's get a little bit into the mining and the energy side of things. There is a flourishing mining industry here. Um, it's probably best to talk a little bit about the grid. You obviously know ERCOT very well, the independence of the grid here in Texas. Why has that made this such a natural fit for Bitcoin mining? Yeah, the energy-only marketplace in Bitcoin sends really strong price signals. And so as we, talk, as we think about you know, economics and free markets, there's other ISOs, which are different grid operators in parts of the world that have functions of free markets, but ERCOT is probably on the bleeding edge of, of the free market. 
as far as uh, pricing for energy, which sends clear signals about where energy is cheap and where it's expensive. And so that allows miners to find sites where they can acquire either wholesale um, PPAs, what we call them, but think about it as a hedged power price um, in a, a, a jurisdiction that's friendly, um, either partnering with some behind the meter asset, generation asset, like a solar facility or, or a wind farm, um, or just taking power from the grid, but they're taking it at times and at locations where the grid really doesn't need it as much. And pr pricing is uh, reflected in that, right? If you're going to go to downtown Austin or Dallas or Houston and try to set up a 100 megawatt Bitcoin mine, you're going to be paying, you know, exorbitant amounts for your electricity because those are uh, geographies where there's way more supply than demand. Right. So, you know, you're not going to do that. But Texas is so way large. More, is it the other way? Way more demand than supply. You're right. Yeah. Way more demand than supply. Texas is so large that you're going to go out in West Texas or in Central Texas or in other parts of the state, and you're going to find that inversed. And and how smooth has that rollout on uh, integration with mining into the grid been? Because there has been accusations labeled at the industry that it's actually drawing energy away that, that is required. There's been criticism, I think probably unfounded or uneducated. Yeah, there were some concerns by ERCOT for sure, and there still are. Um, they instituted an interim interconnection um, process back in March that significantly slowed down the amount of interconnection because there was, at this time, there's 38,000 megawatts of large flexible loads waiting to interconnect on the ERCOT grid. To give some context, that is the size of the New York power grid. Wow. The whole state of New York. However, and, and most of that is Bitcoin mining. But what we had to tell them and what they kind of already knew already, because on the generation side, you see something similar with solar. There's like 10 times the amount of solar waiting to interconnect that will then will actually materialize. We had to tell them the same thing. Guys, this is load that is people are applying for load in triplicate, triplicate. They're, they've got 100 megawatts that they want to build and they're applying in three different locations. So you're seeing that three times. It's people just throwing mud against the wall to see what sticks. So the real number that's actually coming is about 10% of that. So once you start to put it back into perspective, it's a little less concerning. And so we've worked with ERCOT through the Large Flexible Load Task Force, which is what the name that they created is kind of a mouthful, but it is mostly Bitcoin mining. Uh, and they don't want to call it the Bitcoin Mining Task Force because they wouldn't want to seem like they were discriminating against the industry. But this industry has so much potential to be a demand side battery for the for any grid, but especially the Texas grid because we have so much of it and we have so much stranded energy because of transmission congestion, uh, that it could be revolution. It could do for the Texas grid what batteries will do for uh, grids in the Northeast or in, in Western Europe. But you said they still have some concerns. What might they be? It's the speed at which the miners are wanting to interconnect. Can yeah. you explain that? So a Bitcoin miner wants to get their machines hashing in as little amount of time as possible because they're wanting to capture um, the, the, the the machines are the most expensive input. And so they, they've already yeah. ordered machines. The, the, the delay is significant uh, to their bottom line. Other industrial scale projects will take years to ramp up. 
And that's what ERCOT's used to. That's what the whole world is used right. to. So they're not used to this speed. Not at all. So is it more uh, is it more just kind of like a nervousness around the speed at which they're connecting, whether ERCOT can handle? It is a it's it's a concern around the speed for reliability, but they pretty much all see the same data that we're seeing, which is Bitcoin miners turn off. They're very price sensitive. Yeah. So whether it's because they've entered into ancillary services and they have a strike price where they have to turn off, or the price of power just sends price, you know, the price signals are such that, hey, it's unprofitable to mine Bitcoin greater than $100 per megawatt hour, they're all going to be off. Yeah, what was interesting, we had Sean Connell in here yesterday, and my my expectation of this relationship between ERCOT and the miners is like, look, we've got a massive increase in demand. Get on the phone and say, hey, can you turn those off? Because I had heard about perhaps maybe of a concrete plant or a steel plant. That's actually what would happen. It uh -huh. would be a call. And he was explaining, no, the price signals automate this. Yeah, this is the chart we saw. So yeah. as soon as the price uh, uh, went up, that signal automated them and they just naturally switch off. So there isn't a phone call that's needed to make. And the really, really interesting thing about this, or the ironic thing I was saying to Sean, is that Bitcoin itself is so volatile, but what it's actually doing is reducing volatility within the energy grid, yep. which is fascinating. Bitcoin could be volatile by 10, 20% in a day, and it doesn't really affect the strike price that much. Yeah, uh, you, you could even double the strike price and it doesn't matter. ERCOT is only worried about a miner staying on at, say, $1,000 a megawatt hour. It doesn't matter if it's 90 or 120. You see the scale yeah. difference there. You mean the break-even price there by 90 to 120? Correct. The break-even price. And so, so if Bitcoin's at $100,000, the break-even price for miners, again, difficulty level is a big factor in this. So the equation, we'd have to know the difficulty level before we knew exact numbers. But it's going to be under $1,000 for the strike for the break even. Hmm. So you would see the highest I've ever seen it is about $300 when Bitcoin was ripping a year ago at all time highs. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin. But again, I'm only buying right now. We're hodlers. We've seen the bottom of the market. We're seeing this through, right? Now, I've been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy. And Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of What Bitcoin Did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up, it is Wasabi, who I am using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. Now, with the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join, this can be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement. You do also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't leak your IP address. There is also no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there's no more change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking a lot more seriously recently, 
And with Wasabi 2.0, this is so much easier. So if you want to find out more about this, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Also today, we have Casa. Now, whether you've bought your first SATs or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person that should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin, it doesn't have to be difficult because Casa makes it super easy. And getting started is simple. Just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need assistance, it's only a phone call away. And Cars has the best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. And I have been using Casa. I've been using their multi-sig for two years now. I absolutely love it. Now, it is time for you to take financial freedom into your own hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. So uh, we understand their nervousness around it. It's more because their primary concern has to be uh, delivering power to the people of Texas. And if there was ever a scenario where the people of Texas weren't, you know, worst case scenario, there was a rolling blackout and that, that was because the Bitcoin miners weren't switching off, we know that would cause some kind of negative PR. Absolutely. But that's a nervousness. Do Urkel as a whole see Bitcoin as this kind of revolutionary technology that they're very fortunate to now have as part of the grid? Do they really appreciate some, it? Some do. Some Most do. don't yet. Most think about it as this is a tool in the tool belt and in their tool belt yeah. for, um, for compressing the duck curve, for having more flexible load that's going to pick up the valleys of the duck curve overnight and during times when we're not using a lot of electricity, but it's going to shave the peaks off the top during peak times at 4 p.m. on August 1st when it's just blazing hot in Texas. But you know, you understand this has made a huge difference. Huge difference. And I think the potential for it to make an even greater dif dif difference when the communication is even better than it is now. Right now, we still get a call every now and again. So on Christmas Eve, Dan, Danny and I were talking about this. On Christmas Eve, when the Arctic blast was coming through, I got you know communication from ERCOT saying, hey, we still see some miners on. We, uh, they, they can't tell you obviously who because it's proprietary information. But um, you know, we, I, I said, all right, well, let's, let me think about it. Let me think who it might be. Let's uh, call me back in 15 minutes. And then turns out the price continued to go up and those miners did turn off. It was just a slight yeah. lag. And so there was a little bit of a, a concern for a moment, but it was quickly dissipated. You can see the hash price, uh, sorry, the hash rate dropped by like 25% or something in a day. I mean, they're thinking ahead, whereas the system kind of worked perfectly. It worked perfectly. Yeah, it's fascinating. And so I know you're operating here in Texas, but do we know if other parts, I know the rest of the grid is interconnected and there's kind of complicated uh, uh, relationships between who kind of manages which parts, but... Are other parts of the grid now looking at this? Are they aware? Are they are they inquiring, coming to visit? They are. And there are other, they're, they're capable. There's some ISOs that couldn't, like the California ISO just wouldn't make sense based upon how their market is set up. ISO? Independence? Um, no, so. Now you're going to catch is me. Is that like an energy operator? It's, it's the grid operator. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't make sense for tech, uh, for California because their market is a little bit more regulated. It's more of a um, you, you have a capacity market there, uh -huh. so the price signals don't work the same way. Okay, but in other parts of the country, 
Uh, even with interconnected grids, there's different ISOs and Danny's probably going to independent system operator. That's what I was okay. going to guess. But would you argue that the California uh, ISO is poorly structured or is it something specific for them? I, like, I don't know. It, so for, for a someone who believes that markets are not perfect, but they can send really good signals mm-hmm. and are the way that we should go, yes, the California ISO is poorly structured. They're leaving money on the table. Their citizens are paying more for their energy than they should. Than they need to. Yeah. yeah. Huh, interesting. So, so but other... You know, have there been visits down here by other ISOs? I'm using that term like I know what it is now, but. I think there's been Zoom calls. I don't know if there's been right. visits. But there's definitely an interest. Yeah. And 20, what do we have it here? It's 25% of the Bitcoin hash rate might end up in Texas by the end of this year. I think that might be a little strong, but 20% would be my current estimate. Where, do you get, where did you get your 25% from? I think that was from your tweet, to be honest. <laughs> no, it, I did tweet that about two years ago. Okay. Um, so you think about 20% now. Given the slowdown from ERCOT and the market slowdown, I think it, it's probably more going to be like 20%. That's quite a density of the hash rate in a, in a small location. And that could grow. And if the, I mean, if the, the US grid uh, rapidly adopts this, we could see a massive amount of the hash rate here within the US, which I see trade-offs, right? Firstly, I think regulatory protection, which is great. But then I also see potential regulatory capture. Mm-hmm. So there's like these big trade-offs. Do you ever consider, are you thinking about, could we end up with too much hash rate here? I don't think so, because um, these companies are all very independent competitor countries. Or companies, uh, and you have different states that are competing. By the way, the Foundry numbers, um, Foundry's a great company. They put out great products, but a lot of the Texas miners aren't using them as a pool. Okay. So that's why Georgia is oversampled in their numbers. Okay. People are like, Georgia is the largest state for Bitcoin mining in the U.S. It's because of they're, they're using the Foundry pools numbers. It, it's really interesting because it, who is it we were talking to about incentives? Remember, no, okay, coming up, remember. We, we talked about incentives and why why incentives matter. And one of the really interesting things was it Colorado that uh, firstly decriminalized marijuana and then I think made it legal. They were one of the first states. Yeah, and I seem to remember something like a billion dollars saying in tax revenue uh, came in, and then very quickly other states switched. And all that history of, you know, drugs are bad and marijuana is bad kind of dissipated. And look, I know not every state has changed. I think even here in Texas, it's still um, it's still illegal. But the incentives matter. Yeah. In, in a period where there's a massive amount of, you know, people looking at energy in the energy sector, especially in Europe, because we've got our own issues. When, when you have something which stabilizes the grid, brings jobs, brings revenue into the country, lowers energy prices it becomes very difficult for people to make a solid argument argument against it. Yeah. It, so the one thing, everything you said is true, but the one thing that it's most difficult to prove is the energy price piece. Because okay. from, a, from the outset, you increase demand, you're going to increase the price. Uh, miners are using more power, so the price should necessarily go up. And that is true in just a, a general sense. However, it's really about the geography and the time of day. So I would envision a future where a miner is playing that energy arbitrage. They're monetizing their optionality 
and they're turning off 45 minutes a day, every day in the summer and some days in the winter. Um, and so it's not about the, the general consumers like, well, they're using energy. That's bad. It's a hundred percent about where and when, Okay. because we want them to use a lot of energy at two in the morning, because if they don't, then we'll have a lot of power plants go out of business. Or the Com prices will go up though, Lee, because what will happen is they won't go out of business because you will need the energy. Well, so the combined cycle plants need those, they need to make their money because they have to run 24 seven. They lose money if they start to, uh, to power down. Right? But what would happen to them if they went out of business? Then you'd have um, higher prices for the, for the consumer because there'd be less supply. So you've just made the argument back that actually it does lead to lower prices or it prevents higher prices. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It, it can prevent higher prices, but it's a little counterintuitive. Yeah. You have to see that the miner is using energy at times and in locations where you're supporting increased generation and you're supporting that generation to stay online and stay efficient. It's more about efficiency of the grid and transmission congestion than it is about the market. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to push back because you, you said you would see these uh, companies go out of business, therefore the consumer will see higher prices. Well, so the generators go out of business. Yeah. So if, if a natural gas generator goes out of business mm -hmm. th and they say represent 5% of generation in Texas, then you'll necessarily have 5% less generation available for consumers and could conceivably see an increase in price because of that. So Bitcoin is keeping the price. Bitcoin is keeping the price down. <laughs> do, you, do, but, do you see what I'm saying, Danny? I see what you're saying. I, I, I feel like you can't say this, well, which I, is fine. I agree with you, but it is a more nuanced argument than like the common person that's yeah. just studied economics would say like, oh, you're increasing demand for power. You're yeah. necessarily going to increase price. Because I'm talking about two different things. I'm talking about generation, which is on the supply side. Yeah and Bitcoin on the demand side. Yeah. I think a key part to that probably as well is how ERCOT priced their energy and, yeah. how, and how regularly they price their energy. Yeah. Do you want to kind of explain to anyone that might not know how that actually works? Yeah, it's unique, right? They, they have very, no price setting authority. They let it function as a free market. So, you know, if you're taking, we don't see this as a consumer because we get a consumer contract with a retail electric provider that's going to price our energy at 13 cents per kilowatt hour, regardless of the time of day or how hot it is outside. But in the wholesale markets where Bitcoin miners operate, it is a floating market. And so you could see overnight prices plummet. In fact, in West Texas, if there's a lot of wind and there's not enough transmission lines to get it to the population centers of the world, you can have negative prices out there. And the wind developers can eat those prices because they have a subsidy from the federal government to operate their um, generation. So they can you you have about fifteen percent of the time in West Texas where you're just seeing negative negatively priced power. But in Dallas, power the wholesale market could still be. It's a different zone. It's a different pricing zone. I, I, f I f have found this kind of weird paradox in Texas um, in that it is. You know, it is a Republican state, yeah. and um, you know I, there is there is a lot of Democrats here. I understand that, especially in Austin, but it is a Republican state uh, with very traditional values. And when the issue of climate change is discussed, um, I found it tends to be more from the left, and there's some suspicion and doubt with uh, the policies around 
climate change and how serious it tends to come a little bit more from the right. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. 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 At the same time, Texas seems to be the state that has done, correct me if I'm wrong, but had the biggest investment and the most work in developing renewables. That is true as well. It's a weird, I don't understand it. Is that or down, is that just because incentives matter and there's, you know, these, there are these subsidies and these entrepreneurs here? Texans like to make money. Okay. Fuck it. Take the money though. <laughs> it's so, also because of how independent ERCOT is. It, it's several reasons. Yeah. Three, three primary reasons. The, the incentives are there, federal government subsidies, the ERCOT marketplace, and the geography. The wind uh, region of the state is, we call it the wind corridor. All the wind is, is there. It's either there or off the coast or, or, or in the Rio Grande Valley. And we have a lot of cheap real estate for solar as well, because solar takes a lot more, uh, you, you need a lot more real estate to develop a megawatt of, of solar than you do wind. So geography on the wind corridor, when the wind's blowing the most, and then cheap real estate for uh, a lot of sunny days in Texas. So those three factors combined, you know, it's just simple economics. People are gonna develop renewable energy in Texas. And, you know, I, I think that the legislature in Texas doesn't care how they get the energy. They, they want it to be reliable. So we do need to match these flexible loads when we talk about energy. So natural gas is the core of any grid globally. Hmm. It has to be. Or, I mean, I guess in developing worlds, it could be coal, which is unfortunate. But uh, natural gas has to be kind of that base generation. Can't be nuclear? It could. Um, unfortunately, people get freaked out about that. I don't know why. I mean, we know why, but it's it's unfounded fear. Uh, Texas is about 8% nuclear. We just made two shows last, last week in Nashville regarding nuclear. We uh, interviewed uh, somebody who'd worked on nuclear subs and then worked on the aircraft carriers on the on the nuclear reactors on there and then he's been involved in like consulting and he's mm -hmm. been involved with uh, Fukushima and his argument for it the way he I, I won't you know I'll leave it to you to listen to uh, leaves you in no doubt that nuclear should be a central part to any energy grid especially if you are targeting a carbon free future I 100% agree. The only problem with it in Texas is because of the market function it's just not economical. Okay. Yeah. Wind, is, is wind and solar are way cheaper to develop on a, a per megawatt basis and, and, quicker. And, and quicker and natural gas is also more economical than nuclear. Yeah. So knowing everything you know about Texas, all the work you guys have done, you've seen the growth in jobs, you've seen the, the growth in uh, the industry here. When Elizabeth Warren writes to you, who did she actually write to? president, uh, the CEO of ERCOT, but she mentioned me and the Texas Blockchain Council in the letter. Yeah, I remember. When she does that, like, what a kind of, what, how are you actually feeling? Kind of, what kind of emotions are you going through? Because there is that part that it's a function of success. Uh -huh. You know, it's a function of success that she cares that much. But she's never at one point demonstrated any real understanding of Bitcoin and what it is like I, there are i think there are people out who there do make solid criticism of bitcoin like things you should question like you know hers always seem unfounded to come from a position of ignorance but but how did you feel about that well you said it at first we thought this is great um it's frustrating though because you mm. read the letter and you're like ah there's so many inaccuracies here there's so many things taken out of context so that's frustrating but she elevated us in the conversation as sort of the, 
there were three components to that conversation. There was the industry association, which is us, the grid operator and the elected officials. And to be in that conversation, that's where we wanna be. A couple of years ago, that would not have been the case. So we, we, are, we welcomed it. We'd also welcome the opportunity to, to talk with her about, we, we did jab back a little bit in our response. We threw a little bit of, yeah. So- Dig it out, Danny. Yeah, so Massachusetts, uh, we have like 17 times more renewable energy in Texas than Massachusetts. So we put that out there, right? Yeah. 17 times. That's 17x. not a jab, that's a fact. Yeah. And then I also would continue to tweet about the price, the power prices, the day ahead markets in the New England because they refuse to get natural gas from Canada uh, and their citizens up there are just paying crazy prices for their electricity. Uh, so we did throw a few jabs back and said that she should focus her efforts a little closer to home because they're struggling in the Northeast with their reliable generation, with power prices, all that stuff. Uh, can you can you find a copy of her letter? We won't read the whole thing. But can seven you, pages. Seven pages. Can you summarize what she was kind of saying, asking, expecting? She asked, it was pretty unprecedented, by the way. Yeah. Nobody that I talked to had ever seen a senator from a different state ask the CEO of a grid operator in another state for these kinds of things. Um, so she's, she asked for several things for ERCOT to respond around the, uh, the load. Can the grid handle it? Is it, uh, is it um, you know, healthy for the environment? All these kinds of questions. So the, the load, the grid, and the environment were the, two, the three main uh, things that she asked about. Who, who is Pablo Vegas, by the way? Fucking great name. Yeah, it is. He's the new CEO of Ercot. Okay, okay. So Brad oh, Jones. Brad Jones, okay. Yeah. So, the, the, I mean, this is the opening that got me. Says, Dear Mr. Vegas, we write seeking information about crypto mining operations in Texas and the impact these operations might be having on climate change, the stability of the energy grid, and subsidy, subsidies ultimately paid by retail customers. And the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, ERCOT, is providing to crypto mining companies to curtail the operations during these times of peak demand. What's really interesting about that intro is that this letter could have gone two ways. It could could be treated like a negative, and you know, we want to know what the fuck you're up to. It could be like, seems like things are going pretty well down there. We want to learn from you. Um, well, if you keep reading, it gets... Yeah, I know. And it gets like, it, any key sections, like for the listeners, you think we should just dig out. Uh, she starts to throw out some crazy FUD um, around page two or three. But Danny, if you stay there on page one for just a second, you'll see the word subsidies. Yeah. That was an intentional word choice. Bitcoin miners get zero subsidies from the state of Texas, right? They operate just like any other load here. There's no difference. In fact, we get treated a little bit with a little bit more skepticism because of the speed at which we interconnect. Right. So if anything, we have more to prove, so zero subsidies. What she's referring to is economic incentives to curtail. Well, every grid needs that. You need economic price signals for loads to be more flexible. You don't want every consumer in their home when it's like 100 degrees outside Fahrenheit, outside to crank their AC down to 65 because you could literally cause rolling blackouts, right? You need people to be thinking about when and where we're using electricity. Uh, so that baffles me. Scroll down, Danny, to the next one. Let's see if we can find any juicy. They'll be using enough energy to power the entire city. Uh, it's a lot of citations. I want to see what she's actually asking for. 
Oh, wait, these are the questions. questions, So go back up, Danny, just to touch. Question one, for for the year 2022 today and for each of the previous five full calendar years, what has been the annual electricity consumption for crypto mining in Texas, yada, yada? Now, how many tons of emissions? How do crypto uh, mining companies plan to scale the operations in Texas? What are the crypto mining companies? Is there any uh, possible response to this? Is This is none of your fucking business. That's pretty much what they said. So they, they've responded with a letter and said, very tactfully, right? It's yeah. the grid operator, but basically they said that. What do you think her motivation was here to step so far out of her lane? It's political. This is all political? Oh, all political, yeah. Okay, explain further. I, I think maybe she has a genuine concern. I, I don't want to, I, yeah. I do want to assume the best of people. Yeah. So I think she has a genuine concern and probably no time to really get educated on it. So this would be staffers informing her? Probably. Uh-huh. Uh, certainly staffers that wrote it. And so you all, she, she has a, a dual motive, right? She has genuine concern, but she also has political points to score. Okay. Uh, where's the bit where you're mentioned? Probably have to control F. Come on, you know what page and paragraph. I can't remember. <laughs> here we go, here we go, love this. While many businesses and retail customers ask to voluntarily conserve power during these times, there is no requirement for them to conserve. Though some companies involved in ERCOT programs under demand response agreements that pay them for curtailing their operations during periods of high demand. Lee Bratcher, the president of the Texas Blockchain Council, has said of July of the July heat wave that over 95% of industrial-scale Bitcoin mines curtailed their power consumption during peak demand over that week. I mean, they are part of this. They are actually ten, telling what a great story Texas is doing. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool that you're in there, man. Yeah. Um, have you got the reply? I'll find it. Yeah. Is that on your website? It's. It was a press release. Okay. Texas Blockchain Council responds to Senator Warren's letter. Uh, did she then respond to that letter? No. So she just went silent? Yeah. What can be done to, okay, let me take a step back. I got, um, I've talked about this in a show about, I don't know if you heard it. I mentioned him actually when I was interviewing Senator Cruz. I got this email six months, seven months ago from this guy, Jason Meyer. He said, I'm writing a book, Pete, it's a progressive place for Bitcoin, yeah? I know Jason. And Oh, you know Jason. So I said to Jason, this is great. Do you want to come on the show and talk about it? And he did. Yeah. Um, and uh, for me, I've said this over and over again, I think this is the most important book being written about Bitcoin for conservatives. Okay? The reason being is Senator Warren doesn't want to hear from Ted Cruz why Bitcoin mining is good because there is, there's, it seems to me there's very little uh, bipartisan support for ideas. Everyone just wants to fight. And I know we have had, you know, uh, uh, Senator Gillibrand, Gillibrand and, uh, and um, Senator Lummis working yeah. together. It, it yeah. does happen. But generally speaking, and also when just seeing, like when I see someone more on the left and they tweet about Bitcoin or the people underneath, like repeat all the FUD. So we do not want Bitcoin to be a partisan issue. We right. want it to be apolitical. Therefore, it doesn't matter how much you hate progressives and you want to fight them. The best people to defend Bitcoin to progressives are progressives. And therefore, this is good for conservatives. That's like, that's my my argument for it. I'll, and, I'll read it for sure. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's good. It's very useful. What can be done to get to somebody like Elizabeth, Senator Warren and just say, look, just take a step back. Just let's deal with facts. You know, if you had Bitcoin mining within the state of Massachusetts, 
these are the benefits you're going to get and your constituents are going to get. You know, if people were able to legally own and you know use Bitcoin, these are the benefits to your constituents. Like, how do you get to somebody like that? I think you need more data. Okay. We got to get more data and we're working on it. We are compiling data. It just takes time because we know these things to be true because we've seen it firsthand. And also philosophically, we know it should work this way. But for someone that's skeptical, that doesn't work. They need to see the data. This show is brought to you by BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, fast withdrawals, and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best online casino for Bitcoiners. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, please head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O.io. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up today, we have Ledin. And from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Now, Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only is a Ledin sponsor, I am also a customer. I've been using Ledin since they became a sponsor, and I absolutely love the service. Now, if you want to find out more about this, please head over to Ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Also today we have Ledger. And now with everything that's happened in Bitcoin over the last few months, it again highlighted the importance of self-custody and why Ledger is such an important company for the industry. Now, I have been using a Ledger Nano S since 2017, since when I got back into Bitcoin. And I'm still using that same Ledger Nano S now. I still got, I literally got it here set with me right now. Now, with Ledger, you have industry-leading security built into the Ledger device. And also, they have got a new device coming soon. It's called a Stax. It's totally awesome. I've pre-ordered mine. But the Ledger Nano S has been the leading hardware device for people to store their Bitcoin for years now. Now, if you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Who on the left is kind of pro or, or Bitcoin curious? In Texas? No, no, just state, uh, nation, nationwide. Nationwide. Ro Khanna, okay. uh, Rep Darren Soto okay. in uh, Florida is, is strong. My list runs out real quick. Damn. Ron Wyden, Senator Wyden. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you found the letter? I think this is the press release. Okay. Da, 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 da. With the nation's largest wind production, fastest pace of solar generation installation, Texas produces 18 times more renewable energy than Senator Warren's home state of Massachusetts. That's <laughs> fucking brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant, said Lee Bradshaw, president of the Texas Blockchain Council. Texas Bitcoin miners act as a flexible load that soaks up the excess power capacity during times of low demand and turns off in the hot summer days when Texas use, Texas use more energy. Bitcoin mining is also helping to mitigate the effects of flared gas, lowering the carbon impact by more than 63% by redirecting that gas to productive mobile data centers. The information that helps set the record straight 
Bitcoin mining produces no scope one emissions. What does scope one emissions mean? Direct. Okay. Like, you know, you're, you're sending air through these machines, so they're not actually producing carbon dioxide. Globally, Bitcoin mining uses 66.1% sustainable power mix, including nuclear power. Bitcoin miners do not receive subsidies from Texas. Blah, blah, blah. Texas uh, Bitcoin miners curtailed over 50,000 megawatt hours in July 2022. Bitcoin miners act as a buyer first and last resort for renewable generation that is constrained by transmission capacity. Bitcoin miners are either the largest or second largest employer in three Texas counties. Wow, I didn't know that. In There's 20... 254 counties, though, so we have a ways to go. All right, but still, it's a start. In 2020, there were 8 million megawatt hours of wasted and curtailed wind energy in the U.S. Bitcoin miners turned that wasted resource into domestic wages, tax, revenues, and income. Bang, bang, bang. Take that, Senator Warren. I mean, it's just facts. Here yeah. you go. Fact, 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 fact. Buck off. Yep. <laughs> By the way, Pablo Vegas, what a name. Um. <laughs> I mean, congratulations. Well done. I found her whole letter particularly weird, and I think your response is brilliant. Um, I feel like she should be coming down here to look at what's being done and see what she can learn and take back for her own state. Uh, I you, think, would, you would think. I think her silence. Well, this is where incentives are so weird. This is where you. This is where I think the transparency of how bullshit politics and media is right now. Yeah. In that. Maybe it's in other industries, other industries as well. But like working in an industry that is attacked so often and people are so wrong so often, it really exposes the incentives of these people. That's it, very true. I mean, because like I said, the dual incentive there, it is a pretty strong incentive that she has personal conviction on this, but even stronger is what she's getting from her base when she makes these kinds of accusations. Which is why someone like Jason's book is so important. Absolutely. Because we need her base to understand she's incorrect. Yeah. And she is uh, spreading misinformation to her constituents about something that will benefit them. I've got some crazy data for you that I don't, this is like, only our members have been exposed to this data. So okay. Put it out Exclusive. There in the world. Exclusive. Right. On this survey that we conducted, Democrats in Texas were more likely to own Bitcoin than Republicans. Interesting. Democrats had a higher favorability of Bitcoin than conservatives. Would that correlate with a similar poll on technology? Yes, it does. So it is mostly about age. Okay, age. Demo Democrats are typically younger. 54% hmm. of people between the ages of 18 and 24 own some kind of digital asset in Texas. 54%. Interesting. I mean, this is going to be a generational shift over the... So, so do we have good younger politicians coming through? It's hard at the state level. In yeah. Texas, elected officials, state reps and state senators are truly have to be a public servant because they make $7,000 a year. Huh, okay. They have to have a second job. Right. Um, so, you know, they make a little bit more in per diem and there's other ways that they can make money, but it's not lucrative. So you can't just be... 30 years of, you know, 30 years accountant and quit your job and become a elected official. You have to be someone with established business, family money, or you're an attorney where your practice, you can, there's a lot of things you can do, but that makes it tough for young elected officials to come up. And the ones that do make it up nationally are just showboat people. Okay. You've seen that. They're just Twitter personalities. Yeah. Uh, what about the staffers? Do the staffers tend to be younger? Mm-hmm. 
So if the staffers tend to be younger, there is going to be a skew towards them perhaps owning these assets and wanting, therefore, to educate. But then would they want to go against the politics of the senator they represent? That's a tricky one. Well, the, so the senator gets a lot of signals from their staff. Okay. So I don't know if it's necessarily going against. It's just a staff meeting and they say, well, actually, sir, actually, ma'am, here's a little bit of information that may color your opinion on that. And they have a lot of influence because you think about this senator, he or she has a million briefing binders to read and they're going to take their staff's word for it on a lot of stuff. Yeah. I, I really just want Bitcoin because in the UK, Bitcoin won't be something where it's like, oh, if you're Labour, you're against it and you're Conservative Party, you're for it. We don't have that kind of partisanship in the UK. I, I see it potentially happening here, but not as not as big it's not as big an issue as something like guns or abortion. It, right. it just see you can see the signals, but I think there's a chance to avoid it because that so many people do own Bitcoin. So I think it's just about the work you you're doing, the Bitcoin Policy Institute, Coin Center, all this work being done to just educate people, which is why it's so important that we have you and Coin Center and the Bitcoin Policy Institute, and why it's so sad we don't have the equivalent in the UK. And I think that's why we're being mm. perhaps held back. I've met a few. Yeah? Oh, in the UK. I haven't met any. <laughs> but maybe because it's your line of work. They, they, they probably struggle for funding mm -hmm. because the way these industry associations are funded is a direct correlation to the influence they can have on the policy process. So DC-based associations can make a lot of money on the, we'll say like the exchange ecosystem, the DeFi ecosystem, the uh, just kind of the broader, what, what people think about when they think about the broader market. The Texas Blockchain Council is funded 65 to 70% by the Bitcoin mining industry. Right, okay, okay. And I guess that's this is where it starts to get a little bit weird. I think the way lobbying or influence happens in the US is a bit weird because we, you know, I see the good work you guys are doing, really important good work. Same with the Bitcoin Policy Institute, same with Coin Center. But you see the perverse incentives when you see Sam Bankman Freud, fraud, <laughs> making massive donations to the Democrat Party, which suit what he is wanting to achieve. So you can see you can see how this the system incentives is great for the honest players and the good actors, but also offers perverse. Uh, incentives to the bad actors. Yeah. And there's there's different rules around political giving at states, state level versus federal level. Okay. So SBF actually gave a million dollars to Beto, the um, gubernatorial candidate that opposed Governor Abbott in this most recent election that was decided in November. Beto, was he the one who a few years ago... Hell yeah, we're going to take your guns. But yeah, yeah. But, all, but but before he did that, he was seen as the first real chance to flip the state blue. Right. Yeah. Because he almost beat Senator Cruz. He did. And then he fucked it all up by trying to take the guns. Yeah. Well, he ran for president and said a bunch of crazy things. Yeah. Uh, but the, so the, the, the governor was able to send a tweet basically saying, because people were asking him, well, hey, this is this SBF? You know, because he's been an advocate for the industry. Is this related to the things that you're doing here in Texas? And he was able to say, no, SBF just was a, he made bad investments. Look at, he gave a million dollars to my political competitor, right? So he was able to kind of, you know, 
shape it in that way. Um, but at the state level, all political donations have to be from private money. There's no corporate money. There's no super PACs. There's no dark money at the state level. Now there's different ways I'm sure people are using to get around that. But at the federal level, it's much easier because the Supreme Court, you know, protects giving uh, political giving as a form of speech. And you've got a ton of corporate money in federal politics. <laughs> That's fucked up. But I get it. It's a stretch. Yeah. Free speech. Uh, the incentives there are that you can you can distort speech by buying speech. Yeah, I think I think speech is freer when there's no incentives around it, uh, or more honest. Maybe it's. Uh, but, you, but who has the megaphone though? The person you give a million dollars to. Yeah. Um, SBF uh, as and and various other bad actors have brought a lot of the, a lot of negative attention to this industry. Uh, I think, although ironically, I think the FTX thing actually proved why Bitcoin is so powerful and so important. Because they had zero on their balance sheet well, yeah, and they, they couldn't, yeah. yeah. They had zero on their balance sheet. Um, they uh, r they created a huge Ponzi by creating all these tokens like FTT and all those other sh weird ones they created. They proved that honest, good money is important, ironically. Yep. But that's brought a lot of attention to the industry. And the fear then is that brings new regulation. Um but you were saying uh, off camera before we started, actually, you expect a deadlock within federal within federal because of the the, the House being Republican, with Republican yeah. and the uh, Senate being Democrat. Yeah, so we don't, and most observers don't expect any progress at the federal level. So then it turns to the states. The states that are large enough to affect national change are Florida, California, Texas, and New York. Okay. So... California doesn't have a track record of being able to pass legislation in this industry. Uh, there are other states that do, Wyoming, North Carolina, Arizona, Pennsylvania. I mean, great, they're doing great things, but they're just not large enough to set the standard. California sets the standard for the whole country on emissions for vehicles because they pass the most strictest emission rules. So everybody else complies. What, uh, why? Because it's too cost prohibitive to create different standards for different states and okay. manufacturer, you know. So same with exchanges. We think that if Texas acts, and we are working currently with our legislative partners on legislation for consumer protection around exchanges, uh, that would require exchanges to create a plan for proof of reserves and liabilities, Merkel-assisted proof of reserves and liabilities that the Texas Department of Banking oversees in order for them to retain their banking license. And we're doing this in concert with subject matter experts like Caitlin Log, Nick Carter, you know, even some of the exchanges themselves. We're not letting them off scot free. They're still sweating, right, in these conversations. They're like, that makes us a little uncomfortable. We're not ready to go there yet. But we're telling them, hey, the Texas legislature is going to go there. You better do it with, with par as part of the process or else if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Can can that work with the uh, like bankruptcy procedures that they've done in Wyoming, where the customer gets paid out first? In case, like, if one of them goes belly up, that would be a little bit different legislation, but that is in the same vein. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Th this would be to try to prevent those scenarios by giving their auditor visibility into their uh, li liabilities and reserves. Yeah, okay. With Merkel-assisted liabilities and reserves. So you're trying to make, you're trying to have Texas become 
the place that sets the ground rules for this industry? We think that the Texas market is so large, no exchange will not comply nationally because they can't lose 12% of the consumers in the US. And to the people who out there look at Texas Blockchain Council, Bitcoin Policy Institute, Coin Center, and they're like, what are you doing? Just ignore these people. TikTok, another block, just keep building, forget about politicians, stop asking for regulation. What is your response to that? I think they should just keep building. They have no interest in the things that we are working on and that's totally fine. We need people like that. We want them to be heads down and building. So that's good. What I would probably question them on how loud are they being on that? Because if they're trying to be really loud and destructive, uh, they could be harming their own goals uh, by destabilizing the regulatory environment, by slowing, like Bitcoin doesn't care. You, I've heard many people on your podcast say that in a variety of different ways. Bitcoin is going to continue to, there's going to be a new block every 10 minutes. It's going to win, but how fast does it win? In what jurisdictions does it win? In uh, what demographics or, or how fast does it get adopted across these different ge- geographies. Those things are all very political and policy oriented. So my answer would be love it, keep building, but just keep your mouth shut on the things that we're trying to do to create the level playing field. Don't bring un- unnecessary negative attention. Right. Yeah. Okay, what else are you guys working on? So we've got a, a joint resolution from the Texas legislature that would uh, condemn central bank digital currencies. Boom. Um, We've got a lot of support for that. How realistic do you think there is of a chance of the U.S. actually bringing out one? I think it's pretty high. And can can Texas itself do anything to say we reject this? Because Senator Cruz is, you know, he made the case when he interviewed it. He is firmly against this, what it means, what it stands for. I think we can, as a state, influence the federal government because the tex- Texas has the second largest congressional delegation, right? So the second largest, most powerful state in D.C. California has the largest delegation, Texas, the second largest. So we can influence, and I think there will not be a retail central bank digital currency in Texas or in in the U.S. By that, I mean direct Fed account for every citizen that's a CBDC. So Texas can reject that? We can work with our allies to reject it. I think it's not, we can't just reject it for our citizens, but we will be able to have enough influence in D.C. to say, absolutely not. What when it gets murky and when we lose a lot of our Texas delegation is um, an intermediated CBDC that's between the Fed and and banks. Okay. So they they totally get that there's way too much totalitarian China China level CBDC control when you're talking about a direct to consumer CBDC. Mm-hmm. They start to lose their conviction on a Fed to bank CBDC because that is similar to what Fed now is. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how does that differ from what exists now? It, it just sounds like a more efficient system. It is more efficient and it's very similar to what exists now. But what we would say, and I think what you would say too, is it is a slippery slope. Yes, of course. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is where the real battle will be. Uh, we, we feel like with Texas and other states and other, even Democrats, Republicans, whoever, People do not want a Fed to consumer central bank digital currency where the federal government knows everything about your financial activity. 
and could cr- put a negative interest rate on your account or yeah. could all these things that we talk about quite a bit, it gets a lot less convictional for people, a lot less like fundamental bill of rights level style when you talk about an interme- intermediated CBDC between the Fed and banks. I, I see zero chance that people of Texas, when they understand what a CBDC is, accept it. Right. Maybe that's when they get their guns out. Exactly. So yeah. so we, we, we feel very strongly that that resolution will pass. Now, this is just going to be a signal, right? This doesn't have the force of law because this is a federal issue. This will be a signal to the Texas delegation, to our 38 members of the Texas delegation, senators and representatives, to oppose any kind of central bank digital currency. Is there any ability to argue against a central bank digital currency through the Constitution? I think there is. Um, I would hate to get to that point because then you need that case to work up through the lower courts and by that time you've, you know, it's been implemented. Huh. Because they're they're retroactive, right? You know, cases. So okay, so it needs arguing before that. Uh, I think if I think if you really explain a CBDC to people, nobody would really want it, right? So who is pushing for this? So I think it would mostly be people who are ignoring the potential uh, control and totalitarian aspects of it, and people who think, oh, this could help us uh, with. Uh, collecting tax, tax evasion. This will help us with tax evasion. This will help us with uh, money laundering. This will help us with data and collection and things that are probably pretty good things, right? Um, and they would be sacrificing liberties at the uh, altar of convenience and um, it'd be bad. Did you say to me, Danny, there's been progress with the US CBDC, the uh, UK CBDC? With the UK, yeah, something was out yesterday. Uh, I'll pull it up. Yeah, I mean, we will literally just bend over and take it in the UK. We, we're fucking idiots. I, I sort of kind of moved away from calling it a CBDC as well, which is probably very intentional. Yeah, because it's uh, associated with... Control. Control, yeah. What's a better... What can we do? CBDC, Chinese Banking Digital Control. There we go. There you go. You found it. I'm just trying to find it. Yeah, I mean, we just... We, it's, it's Orwellian. That's yes. probably the best way to say it. Uh, here we go. UK Treasury considers plan for digital pound. The government is considering introducing a digital pound. The economic secretary is told MPs. The UK wanted to commit to becoming a world crypto hub. Fuck off. Like, literally, fuck off. And the government was a long way down the road to establish a regime, I love that term, for wholesale (laughs) use, payment purposes of stable coins. Blah, blah, blah. So they're only talking about wholesale as well. Wholesale is the intermediated model. So this is what Dan Tubb was talking about when he was on the show, Pete. Like, that it starts off as, like, wholesale, maybe goes corporate paying taxes using it, and then it just creeps. Yeah. The crypto... uh, Yeah, so we need to have a show in the UK. Like, we, I, I feel like... We come over here to the US and we do a great job in building a podcast, but we're missing our duty to protect and educate people in the UK about things like this. You know, Rogan would talk about this and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he would create that groundswell against it. We, we, we kind of have a duty to be mm. educating people on this because any one of my friends, you put that in front of them, they've got no idea of what that really is, the Orwellian nature of this. They'll right. just say, oh, it's a new technology, a digital pound. Do you guys read George Orwell in the UK? Yes, we do. Okay. Yeah, I've read 1984. Okay. 
also watched the f- the film version. Have you seen the film? Uh-uh. It's got a guy in it who was uh, a character called Rabsy Nesbitt. Do you remember Rabsy Nesbitt? Mm. Yeah, he's in the film. That was just the thing when I first watched it. I was like, what the fuck's Rabsy Nesbitt doing in there? Yes, we are aware. We're, um, you know, we just don't have this uh, history of independence like you guys do. We have a, a history of, uh, of, well, here in the US getting our asses kicked. <laughs> I mean, there's people in the UK kind of talking out. Like, Majid does quite a good job of talking out. It's just, we need to do more. The problem with the voices talking out against it, they have a very difficult, you have a very difficult job in the UK trying to explain these topics without sounding like some conspiracy theorist, right right wing nutter. Because usually the kind of people who are discussing this are discussing a number of things that we should be questioning and thinking about. But we, you know, I'm, I often put up that, uh, I put that meme up on Twitter of where, in the you go get my pin tweet and this will explain to you the issue i have moved between the uk and the us uh, is, is that the you're same the here? perfect person because you're more moderate and progressive ha you see my pin tweet and okay. this, this will um, explain to you what i'm dealing with because i might be moderate progressive here <laughs> that's amazing yeah that is like it's literally this is how like I try and be a centrist. Being a centrist, I'm considered like a screaming woke leftist in the US and basically Alex Jones in the UK. And you do not want to be classed as a right-wing conspiracy yeah. theorist in the UK. Because there's some UK people that are pretty out there. Yeah, and then you get, you know, like I did the Nigel Farage interview, but yeah. like I'm, I'm going to be careful to distance myself to a number of things he stands for and talks about because the way we, we're a very collectivist society and things that are seen as... You know, on the extreme ends, we reject, like we reject extremism. Well, that's, I wish the US did a little bit more of rejecting extremism. Of course, but at the same time, you at least challenge ideas better. Yeah. We would, we will roll into a CBDC in the UK. Not even just, yeah. yeah, it it would just happen. So I just feel like maybe we have, we have a bit of a duty for that in the UK. Um, what What else are you working on? We have a bill that would exempt severance tax, which is the taxes paid on uh, gas that's sold, natural gas that's sold, if the gas was formally flared and is redirected into an, a generator for mobile data center use on site. So it's very narrowly scoped, but there is a 63% reduction in the carbon impact from uh, a flare stack to generator. Right, man. Well, listen, look, I absolutely loved coming to the summit. Um, I will come next year if you have me. Uh, it was a real honor to interview uh, a, a senator on stage. It's a very it's very weird when you set up a podcast as a hobby to suddenly find yourself in that situation. But um, I was really honored that you asked me, and I hope I did a good job. Um, how can people listening support what you're doing? Where do you want to send them to? Sure. So texasblockchaincouncil.org, that's where they can learn. Our policy page has all of our policy, eight, eight different initiatives. So they can go there to see that. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Lee underscore Bratcher. And the last thing that I think is relevant, given that our mind is on Bitcoin mining so much, is we need an American ASIC machine. We cannot continue to buy Bitmain and MicroBT machines indefinitely. Not only are they gouging us, but it is putting a, that's a, that's a big area of risk for Bitcoin. Have you With, taken a look at these Intel machines? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. The, the Intel chips perform as advertised, but they are having a lot of trouble with some of the control boards and they're not yet up to snuff. Okay. 
Come on, Intel, pull it out. Um, okay, well, look, we'll share that on the show notes. We'll put both those letters in the show notes as well, and, you, you know, your reply, et cetera. Um, keep doing what you do. Anything you need, just reach out to me or Danny, and, uh, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Okay, what did you make of that? You enjoy that? Got to say I love Lee. Love everything he's been doing down in Texas. Love the Texas Blockchain Council. I will rib him eventually into becoming the Texas Bitcoin Council. But do appreciate him coming on the show. Appreciate all the support he's given me. And also, he got me into their summit to interview Ted Cruz, which is very cool. If you haven't listened to that, go and check that out. As I said in the intro, we're done here in New York today. We're going to be heading out to Canada for a couple of days. Me and Danny are on a secret mission. And then he'll be back to Australia. I'll be back to the UK. A big thanks again to everyone who came out to WBD Live last night in New York. It was sellout. It was great. It's great to see you all. And we've got two more events coming up. We've got one in London in April and one in Miami in May. And we're going to be adding more throughout the year. Anyway, if you want to Get in touch. You can drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, you can jump into our Discord, become a patron, come talk to us over there. Tag me, Daniel, Ben. We're always over there talking shit, talking about Bitcoin. Anyway, not long to go. Look forward to hearing from you, and I'll see you all soon. <laughs>